What is up everyone, Dalton here. Before we hop into this episode, I just have a couple quick announcements. First off, thank you for tuning in. The support on the podcast so far has been amazing. We're super excited about the community that we're building here with Move Local. So we cannot wait to continue to grow and meet more amazing people. If you guys aren't following us on Instagram, head over there and follow us, move.local as well as sign up for our newsletter if you want to make sure that you don't miss out on any new releases of episodes, of merchandise, of exciting news that we have coming up for the Move Local community. Head over there, sign up so you do not miss out. You can find that in the bio on Instagram or in the show notes below of this episode. And then lastly, guys, if you've liked or took value from any one of our episodes so far, please head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you consume your podcast, subscribe to Move Local, and drop us a review and a rating. It really helps our podcast grow. It helps us get good feedback from you guys, what you want to hear more of, what you want us to improve on, so that we can continue to provide you with the best content possible and grow this amazing community. That is all I have for today. Enjoy this episode of Move Local. Welcome to the Move Local podcast. Our mission is to connect the movers and shakers of the Duntas and Hamilton area who pride themselves on growing a healthier and more connected community. We will do this through having conversations around health, education, entrepreneurship, and much more. We want to be part of helping you move confident, move free, and move local. What's going on, beautiful people? Welcome back to the Move Local podcast brought to you by The Movement. My name is Dalton, and alongside me are my two beautifully bearded co-hosts, William and Donald. How are we doing today? Yeah, doing well. We have this abnormally warm fall day going on, but it's mm-hmm. it's great. I hope people are out taking advantage of it. Well, you definitely were, Don. I saw you on that e-bike just <laughs> ripping down the street. I had a bit of bit of a funny day with tires. I got a flat on my mountain bike while I was putting it into my car, and then on the way to my daughter's school, my I got a flat in my my SUV. Um, oh. <laughs> just one of those days. Tires tires weren't in my my cars. No, nothing starts my day better than when I'm sitting in the office and I look out the window and Don's on this like e-bike with his helmet on, his mask up, like ready to rip. Um, there is some video footage of this <coughs> that probably will get posted on the Move Local Instagram page. So if you're not following <laughs> us there, you should follow us there for that. Um, great content. <laughs> but, Didn't know that was happening. <laughs> those windows, we can see you. Um, but what we'll do is we have another interview today. Um, super excited for this one. We have a local community member. Um, he's a coach at Momentum. Uh, we have Darren Brooks on the podcast today. Darren, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How's your day going so far? It's, it's all right. It's not that exciting. Like we were just talking about before, gym isn't as busy as it could be mm-hmm. because of the whole COVID situation and other reasons, surgeries and just clients are away for one reason or another. So yeah. had a super chill morning, went for a run. Okay. Just tried to kill the nerves for this podcast experience because <laughs> I have yet to do this before. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. Running on the road or the trails this morning? The trails. Nice. Yeah, nice. Just up the rail trail. Yeah. yeah. Well, the good news <laughs> is you're still running. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we'll definitely dive into your running experience. That's part of, I think, your, your whole story. Um, 
Where I wanted to start though is what would you, you know, what are a couple words that you would use to like maybe describe yourself just to like have mm. the people get maybe a little bit of a feel for like who you are? Yeah, that's a good question. Hmm. First word that comes to mind is seeker, like trying to figure out this existence basically and, and the mind and stuff like that. Okay. Um, I don't know. Is that part of like just like curiosity for learning about things or open to learning about things like in a way that's for sure but like we'll dive into what the story is but it's been such an interesting road where I've mm, <laughs> the words will start flowing eventually but yeah it's, it's almost essential for me to have to seek to find peace in myself okay. because things have been rocky and clunky um, so it seems like a necessary measure to take is to search for what's going to bring me peace. Yeah, interesting. Why don't we Why don't we dive into the story then? I think maybe that would just give context to to everyone listening and kind of get you explaining your situation because you have a very unique, inspirational Thanks. story that I'm curious to hearing more of. We've briefly talked about it, but mm -hmm. I want to kind of go through it all. So why don't you just start the story wherever you want, and then sure. we'll just kind of jump along for the ride. Sure. So, yeah, the more that I dissect the story, because I still continue to digest it, um, the more different angles that I see. So I'll try not to go off on all these different tangents, but I'll, I'll, I'll start with the Coles Notes version. Okay. So when I was 19, I got diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome. Some people pronounce it different. So what that is is an autoimmune disorder where you have a common cold, and then for whatever reason, they still don't really know. There's not a ton of research on the subject. Your um, immune system stops attacking the virus and attacks your nervous system and eats away the myelin around your nerves. So when I was 19, um, there was a gradual onset, but most of my body ended up paralyzed. Um, and I ended up in a wheelchair and then walking for months with horrible posture, which eventually led to a whole bunch of mental stuff. Um, on the surface, it was like very apparent that physically things were not going well. But I think the aspect of it that has pointed me in the direction of the life that I'm in now is how complicated the mental side of things got. Um, so lots of time went by and ended up having a hip surgery and the mind and the body were not agreeing with me for quite a long time from 19, 20, 21, 22. I'm sure I still have more healing to do in the mental aspect of it as well. Um, but I eventually went to school for health, fitness, and wellness. Made a point to learn as much as I possibly could when going through the experience. And now I think I'm in the process of using that um, awareness and knowledge that I've accumulated to, to help. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Like I said, there's a million angles. Yeah, there's and a when lot. I'm hit with the question of like, oh, what's the story, dude? We'll, it's we'll, yeah, we'll probe you. Don't mm -hmm. worry. Don't mm -hmm. worry. I got some thoughts. Sweet. Thanks for sharing the brief overview. I think that's a good place to like just have people kind of understand the, the broader thing. Where I want to dive into maybe first is take me back to when you're you're 19. Mm -hmm. What was life like prior to GBS, and then what was it like as you started to experience some of those symptoms that you're describing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another complicated answer, and right away what comes to mind is 
we were talking a little bit about how people struggle with their identity when they get injured. Mm-hmm. So when I was 19, I was just like height of confidence, young, fit, cocky, um, working labor job. Um, growing up, I was always like in the role of energy bringer, kind of clown type person. Um, I just lost my train of thought. Um, so life was like as good as I could have hoped for around 19 had lots of savings in the bank. I was like in between high school and finding out what I wanted to do for my career. The plan was to be a firefighter. Um, I was in a a good relationship and things were just smooth. Like everything flowed back then. Uh, I had no concept of things like anxiety. Like I had heard Mm -hmm. the word, but I didn't understand really what that meant. Um, So, I was just, yeah, a young, cocky, confident 19-year-old yeah. who had spent 19 years developing a persona and a personality that I was very comfortable in. Sounds I'm, like that, a, a bit of that was around physicality. Totally. Right? Yeah. And so it, it's, I mean, GBS, maybe you can speak a little bit to like when that sort of physicality maybe started to get pulled away from, from you. Yeah. So that's a huge component to it because I was diagnosed with ADHD maybe in like grade four. So I was on Ritalin and then I was on Concerta. I was the kid bouncing off the walls and getting sent to the office for distracting other people and just being a horrible student. Um, But sports were always my outlet. Like I didn't understand that at the time, but I must have always been riding an endorphin (laughs) high and through physical activity, exerting enough energy to be relatively calm. with my body, but also the mind. So then when I got GBS, all those coping mechanisms that I didn't realize were coping mechanism, mechanisms were kind of taken away from me. Um, I have a very like chaotic mind if I don't do certain things to manage it. Um, and then I didn't have sports, which was a huge thing. And I used to be a gym rat, a young meathead. Like we were talking about before, one of my first jobs was the Army Reserve, so physicality was just such a giant part of my life. Like, I identified as an athlete and as a clown, pretty much. Um, and then, yeah, the beginning of the diagnosis wasn't that difficult, because I really thought of it as, okay, this is an interesting, unique challenge. Um, I have an opportunity to go to a place that not many people get to experience, and then I get to bounce back from it. And that mindset carried me for a while. But then after months went by and then years went by and things still weren't as put together as I hoped for them to be, then things started getting pretty rough. Um, Because as a 19-year-old, I I don't know. I have, like, goofy athletic friends, and it was really hard for me to watch them continue to be who they were. Well, I was kind of on the sidelines, still clinging to who I was, but that was slowly becoming not the case. Like, yeah. Sounds like it's something that really challenged your identity. Totally. And it's funny, like, part of this is why I was so nervous to do this podcast, because talking about it is like, it's kind of like deep, vulnerable shit, you know? Yeah, definitely. Um, And I'll continue to, I'm already feeling slightly looser than when we talked about, like, (laughs) The stuff Start, at the beginning, yeah. but yeah, it's it's hard to focus and not have my mind go in all these different directions because it was such a complicated experience. Slash, still is kind of. Yeah. 
maybe maybe it would be beneficial to to sort of like speak about you know where you've brought yourself to where you're at right right now sure right because i mean you you just finished a pretty pretty awesome physical experience right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it feels that way um so a big part of why i'm at the place that i'm at right now when I went to physio, nobody had even heard of this um, disorder because it's a one in a hundred thousand. Well, the numbers you read different stuff, but it's roughly one in a hundred thousand. So my physiotherapist had never heard of it, and they put me on a generic like full body strengthening thing. There wasn't anything to do with like establishing neuromuscular connection, which, looking back and now that I kind of understand things a little bit better, that would have been the most beneficial thing. So. I had to do a lot of my rehab myself because I lost 40 pounds of muscle. Like I said, I was young and fit and stuff, but when all this happened, obviously atrophy, just from having no mind-muscle connection, um, and then my esophagus was so weak, I was always choking on water, um, and then the combination, so my esophagus was so weak, so gas wouldn't naturally seep out. This is maybe this isn't exactly what happened but this is my understanding of it so i would get all this like gas bubble in my diaphragm and stomach and stuff like that and have to let out these horrendous belches all the time but i didn't understand that i was swallowing air a lot of the time so the combination of the weak esophagus and not having gas seep out properly and then developing like pretty extreme social anxiety from the whole identity crisis type thing which I'm sure we'll get more into, mm-hmm. I was throwing up all the time. Like every day I would start the day by like crawling out of bed and crawling to the washroom and like throwing up until it was stomach acid. Um, and then trying to eat like crackers and cucumber that for whatever reason, those were the staples in peanut butter sandwiches. <laughs> um, but just throwing up all the time. So from that and the atrophy, I just lost so much muscle. Um, I forget why we're talking about that part. Oh, physio. So I definitely made some gains from doing physio. Obviously, you're going to build some muscle and like make your body a bit more balanced from doing a generic full body strength program. But when I was done with physio, and this is kind of what got me into the line of work that I'm in now, they kind of just said, okay, you're good to go. But I was not good to go. My body was not nearly where I wanted it to be because... When everything started, in my mind, it was, okay, things are rough now, but eventually they're going to be good again, and I'm going to be playing hockey and doing all this stuff, but it's obviously not that simple when you have such a complicated thing on your body. So I had to spend a lot of time stretching. There was a time where I would stretch literally for three hours a day. I made all these stretch routines on my interval timer on my phone and would just press play and go through it um, and would just chill on the floor with my yoga mat and push weights to try to correct imbalances and I had no core strength like um so I did a lot of my rehab by myself um and I just learned how complicated the body can get when things are not ideal and then also the mind um so that kind of motivated me to get into the line of work I'm a trainer but I really like to be the step and this is good that we've all met each other this sounds like it's a plug but the step between physio and regular life again, because a lot of people finish their physio and they're not nearly where they expected to be. Mm-hmm. And they have no plan 
and that's what I realized like when physio was done Mm -hmm. I was just kind of left on my own so I had to figure it out Mm -hmm. yeah I mean just listening to you like you have like you seem like a very resourceful person a very like I don't know if internally motivated is the right word but like listening the the first thing that you said when you're like you realized that you were diagnosed with GBS was like you thought of it as an no, I don't think you said cool, but you thought of it as, as an experience of like, oh, okay, I can go to like this place of like where it's going to be really hard and then come out of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that speaks a lot to the type of person you are. And then obviously hearing you talk about this identity mismatch, right? And maybe that got lost. But then now me knowing you from like the last little bit and what you just did with your run and building yourself back up, that whole mindset seemed to come back into play that where it's like, I'm going to go to that dark place, but I'm going to pull myself out of it. So maybe you can touch on like, obviously you went from being super physical to struggling. And I don't think you've even put a big enough emphasis on how much physically you were struggling. Mm -hmm. Like you went from being very strong to a wheelchair, like Mm -hmm. that for you, the way you're saying it, you're making it like nonchalant, but Mm -hmm. that's extreme, right? Mm -hmm. Like for people that are listening and then for you then to come out of that, and then just completed, it was like 60K, mm-hmm. right, of yeah. a run. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a big step, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe talking totally. about how you went from that tough spot to building back, building yourself back up. And you can take it physically and, and on the mental side, because I know that those are two things that you like to touch on. Yeah. Yeah, so at the beginning, I was 19, right? So you're naive, and I had this romantic, heroic mindset of like, nice, I get to live as a paraplegic and get, get to bounce back from it. And I'll be able to collect information that I can then help others. And like I said, that carried me for a long time, but eventually mm-hmm. I did kind of lose sight of that and was just caught up in the thick of the pain and the discomfort and stuff because like my nervous system was, felt like it was kind of coming back to life. So I had all this different pain, basically. My feet would burn like, it doesn't feel like feet should be able to be that hot. So my feet would be burning and then my back would be burning. And then I would like, you know, when you get a twitchy eye, I would have like 20 of those spots all over my body. So there'd be times where I'd be laying in bed at night and my feet would be on fire and everything was twitching and it was, it was overwhelming. Um, Just thinking like at my parents' house, we had moths for a while and I would lay in bed at night and not know if moths were landing on me or if it was just my body tripping out on me. Mm. Um, So the pain was there at the beginning, but the pain got a lot worse because I was so stubborn and didn't want to feel defeated. And like, as far as brain function and thinking with clarity, malnourishment and sleep deprivation don't help that. And that's the state that I was in a lot of the time, let alone my brain trying to process all the pain signals and the random neurological stuff that was going on. So I just really had it in my mind that the more time I spent in the wheelchair, I was being defeated, which is in hindsight, kind of a stupid mindset. I've done talks with support groups for the people with this disorder and I say, don't do what I did. Like, relax, there is a battle to be fought, kind of, but don't get so caught up in that because it was very much a battle for me. So I spent a lot of time, the first maybe two months, I didn't really have a choice. I had to be in the wheelchair, but eventually I graduated to a cane. So to get around, I would stab my cane into the ground and keep my legs locked and waddle towards it. 
and just was wrecking my posture, walking with straight legs. And I was falling all the time because if I bent my knees even a little bit, there was no feeling from the legs down. So who knows what I did to my joints just falling. Um, it became a regular thing to fall on the ground. Um, yeah, it's funny. Like a, a big part of the story is my ex-girlfriend who I we eventually split and it wasn't horrible terms or anything like that. That's, I feel like a story for a different day, but she was like this 110 pound person who had to drag me around a lot of the time and lug my wheelchair around all the time. So I'll always be like, she'll always be a giant part of my life for being the rock of the situation when all this was happening. Um, Cause yeah, she would pick me up when I fell on the ground and we had all these times where we both fall on the ground and laugh about it and just like one thing that comes to mind, I was going to see my friend's culminating assignment for school. He's a theater guy. So we were going to watch him do like a series of skits. And he didn't tell us that the parking lot was super far away from the building because that's not something you would think about. Um, but it was pretty far away and I didn't bring the wheelchair because I just assumed that it would be a quick trek to get inside. But I don't know how far the distance was, maybe only a kilometer probably less but it was just exhausting getting there and I was draped over my ex-girlfriend's arm and with my cane and it was all my strength just to get there um, and when we finally got in the building they opened the door we were late because it took so long to get across the parking lot they opened the door and my friend is doing a monologue and the door opens and touches me this hard and I just crumple to the floor and everybody in the audience is looking at me and even in those moments, I can find it humorous. Like, I can understand how, like, are we allowed to swear? Dude, you just do you, man. Cool. Because I've already dismissed a bunch of F-bombs. Um, <laughs> but it was just a fucked up situation. Um, but then my friend's dad is literally, like, 500 pounds and came and picked me up. Like, I was nothing and put me in my chair. And, um, yeah, just, it was a trip. Um, so that's just how I got from point A to point B for months, like five-ish months probably. And I was slowly but surely getting feeling back, but my method of getting around was dragging myself around. So I was always exhausted and like irritable. And even before the whole, um, disorder happened, I was kind of an angry kid. I won't even, maybe we'll get into that, but. I very much have a darkness, like a lot of people do, you know? But I had the persona of the clown. So I was always able to generate happiness by making people laugh and then temporarily be taken out of that part of myself. But when I got sick, I kind of lost that ability. I didn't have the energy to make people laugh anymore. So I was irritable and I was snapping at my friends. Um, so that resulted in like, isolation and I don't know. I, I forget the question, but. No, I think I think you're doing a good job of describing the things that affected your life, mm -hmm. right? Like painting a picture of some of the struggles that you had, both physically and and mentally, right? Mm -hmm. Like this has obviously impacted your life beyond what anyone probably could imagine. Mm -hmm. um, so you talk about having to like get around with a cane and like dragging yourself and having these these falls and and these experiences. Let's talk about like the run and like how that was oh yeah like, i forgot about that yeah because like, like 
the motivations behind it. Too. Yeah, yeah, like the motivate. Yeah, let's start there. The motivation behind your run. Maybe tell people what the run was. Yeah. And why you did it, and then cool. we can talk about your experience within that physically and mentally. Sure. Yeah. So, there's a few reasons why I wanted to do the run. Um, like a lot of other people, I got by my standards kind of lazy through the whole quarantine period. So I was in search for some kind of physical challenge. And then the GBS slash CIDP Organization of Canada every year hosts a, a walk and roll-a-thon. So people just get in their wheelchairs or use their crutches or whatever. And they walk around and they raise money for it. So that was approaching. So I thought I need to do something physically challenging because that will give me just more purpose and I do well when there's struggle in my schedule. Like that creates growth among many other things. Um, so I thought, let's, at the time I was running maybe once a week just to stay somewhat fit. So I thought I'll do a somewhat outlandish distance considering how little trained I am to kind of garner some attention in the community so I can actually raise a bunch of money. Because I had just participated in a support group. I usually show up and don't say much. And if people ask me questions, I want to, people to learn from my mistakes in these support groups. Um, by the way, CIDP, uh, chronic inflammatory demyelinating polyneuropathy is basically the chronic version of what I had. So I was lucky enough for it to be a one-time thing. It's complicated, but you get rough and then you get better. But CIDP people, it's up and down. They get better and then they get worse again. So... Yeah, that's just, I wanted to make sure I mentioned that. So I wanted to do um, just a, a, a run farther than I had ever run before on not that much training, just to kind of test my mind and see how that felt and hopefully inspire people in the community because a lot of people at the support groups that I attend, they're just getting started with it. Maybe they were diagnosed a couple months ago and their future is so unpredictable. Um, and it was like that for myself too. When I got diagnosed, I wasn't able to get any straight answers from doctors. It was like, you're gonna recover, but we don't know how much. And a lot of people are in that boat. So I like to be the example of, look, I can balance on one leg, I can walk on my hands. Like things can get better if you're willing to kind of make yourself your project. So I figured if I ran 60 kilometers, um, like, it doesn't sound super outlandish to you no, guys because no, no, you're no, in the no, 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 community. No, no, but no, no. Let's 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 <laughs> back let's, that up. <laughs> let's, let's highlight how far that is. That is crazy. That is not normal in terms of a normal distance. Yeah, sixty kilometers is insane for anyone to run, yeah. let alone going through what you had to go through to build back up. Mm -hmm. So let's just set that context. Cool. Continue. It's, it's twice <laughs> twice around the bay for all the local people. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So yeah, go go into like go into that then like how that that was for you. Sure. Can I yeah. say something interesting on that first, dude? Yeah. I feel like the depths that I went to physically and mentally when I was going through the thick of all this stuff, <clears throat> it was deep and it was a dark place. Mm. But I think that I'm gonna butcher the explanation of this. I think, however deep of a hole you dig in your psyche and what you experience with your physicality, there's a ceiling that reflects that. So for, I just, d does that make any sense? Keep going. I think that I understand to a much greater stent, extent than I used to what a human is capable. Mm. And running 60 kilometers to me, it, I'm proud, don't get me wrong, but it feels like scratching the surface. And we were talking a little bit about this before we started the podcast. 
But because of the depths of the shit that I feel like I've experienced, the good stuff to reflect that. Kind of the deeper you dug, the higher higher your physical ceiling was, right? Yeah, like not just physical, but mentally, for sure. Yeah. So, like, when I first signed up, committed to doing the 60K, like I said, I wasn't trained properly, and I get fired up, like, nice. I get to make this a battle of the mind because I don't have the physical tools at the moment. Um, I thought it was going to be a lot harder. And it what, there was a chunk that was super hard, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, but it didn't turn out to be the crazy epic spiritual experience that i had originally thought like training just went a lot better unfortunately unfortunately i got myself into a lot better shape than i thought i would be um i just wanted to try to explain the the depths and the ceiling thing i think it's a cool thought because i think what what i'm understanding of it is like you're talking about the the dark like the suffering that you went through Mm -hmm. through your whole experience yeah like people what I like about exercise and physicality and doing things like that is it takes you to that place of suffering mm-hmm. and teaches you how to make, like exercise can be a very good thing to teach you how to do hard things that you don't think you're capable of overcoming mm-hmm. and teaching you those lessons. Running 60K for you is a walk in the park compared to what you went through and experienced mm-hmm. through GBS, Yeah. right? So I think that, that that's what I'm gathering in terms of what you're saying. And you thought that you were trying to find something that was going to be you, what you thought somewhat as challenging maybe or, or in the realm of suffering like you did through the GBS, but then you were like, oh, this was easier because I've already been through a lot. Something like that. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure why I want to do the things that I want to do, yeah. but I feel I'm just, I let my intuition guide. Yeah. But I think it's, I think we, we talk about that a lot, yeah. like doing hard things. Like mm-hmm. there's something to doing hard things and overcoming them that can really help you get through life totally um and learn right mm-hmm. so i like that idea yeah so, i definitely saw that happening like during the race so i had uh you know by chance i didn't realize it was happening but that was the same day i was doing a little bit of a run a much smaller run mm-hmm. and what i thought was interesting was at the start you were kind of like ah oh, you know i'm gonna run like not too quick of a pace or anything like that and then you were just booking it yeah. And I feel like part of it is you're, you were almost like seeking mm-hmm. it being harder, yeah. you know, than you even like put it out initially, yeah. which I thought was awesome, but I'm sure that made the run a little bit harder. Oh, for sure. <laughs> like I crashed super hard late, later. Like there was a lot of things at play. Like we were talking about before, I hadn't had coffee in two days and then I drank a bunch of coffee that morning and I had a, a cordyceps mushroom capsule. Do you know anything about that uh, stuff? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. just gives you energy. Yeah. I don't know. And it's supposed to be good for your immune system. So I was just so amped. And I wanted to beat Tyler, my coworker slash boss. Um, I don't know. And I felt excellent because I hadn't run in a week because I was trying to do whatever. I My version of taper. Um, so the run started and I just felt great. So I wanted to crush it. And I knew I would crash and burn, but... I was down to suffer, you know, mm-hmm. and future me was pissed at the person who decided to like run that 10 K really fast, but I knew I would be, you know? So I had no choice later to pick up the pieces of my decisions earlier that day. <laughs> yeah. So you finished the 60, 60 kilometers, right? Yeah. What's going through your mind when you finish? Um, not a lot. It's been interesting. Like, I haven't felt super attached to the accomplishment yet. Um, Like I said, there was rough patches. So 
I'll, can I just recap the run? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we did the 10K, and then I put on my vest. I had all my baby food and my water and stuff, and then ran to meet a friend. Um, so I climbed Sydenham, and then met her, and she's an Iron Woman. She was training for the Ironman World Championships, and then COVID happened, so she just decided to do one on her own. So I wanted to run with her so she could drop some wisdom on crazy endurance stuff like that. So ran with her for about 10K, had super cool conversations. When The second time that I came up Sydenham, things started getting rough already, and I was a little bit worried because I was like, fuck, I'm 26 kilometers in, and this is already like a lot more rough than I expected. Um, I got which is more than a marathon or half marathon just so people know yeah okay continue um, I got this false sense of um, confidence I think because a few weeks ago I ran a marathon and it felt excellent like it's the best marathon I've ever not that I've run mar- many marathons but so I thought this is not going to be that bad but I also didn't climb Sydenham twice. It was good. So you also chose to incorporate multiple repeats of yeah. the biggest hill in, in Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. And start the day with a questionably paced 10K. Yeah. So got like 26 kilometers in, and then my mom was actually waiting at the top of the hill um, and asked me how I was doing and offered to give me Gatorade. So she went to a convenience store and got me some Gatorade. Um, and then she was driving past me, and I told her, like, do you mind videotaping me so I can give a shout out to somebody? And there's this woman that I know um, named Judith who has CIDP and she just had open heart surgery. I don't remember why exactly, but it was iffy if she was going to live or not. And she eventually pulled through and then it became iffy if the anesthetics were going to mess up her brain function. So I've been emailing with her husband and just trying to stay in the loop and trying to send words of positivity and stuff. So I was bagged at the 26, 20, whatever it was, 28 kilometer mark, and I got my mom to videotape me just, like, hey, Judith, like, yeah. I hope your recovery is going well. I'm really tired right now, but I want you to know I'm thinking about you. Um, and that kind of energized me. So then I had some, like a good solo trek, got to the bottom of the Greensville Hill again. My mom gave me more Gatorade, and then I went and met another friend of mine named Chris, um, who I met around the 35 kilometer mark. Um, and he's a, just a positive, like good energy kind of guy. And I enjoy making him laugh. So I saw him and there was a bunch of people around and I started like going, just to kind of (laughs) get some uncomfortable attention in our direction. As is tradition. Of course. (laughs) If you're not making crow noises on a run, what are you doing? Um, so that was the start of Wilson street, which is a giant hill into Ancaster. That was pretty brutal, Um, but one of the cool things that Jen told me, the Iron Woman that I was running with, was don't be afraid to walk. Like, and that's this whole ego thing that I've had, if you walk, you're a quitter on a run. Not for other people, like it's cool for other people, but not for me to walk on a run. But I really felt it, that message when she told me, and I thought, like, if I walk up this hill, I'll be able to rebound and just have a stronger rest of the run. So Chris and I ended up marching up, we were walking way faster than we were running anyway. Because it was just like shuffling up the hill. Um, um, and then got to the top, met another really good friend of mine named Melissa, who's done her fair share of endurance stuff too. She's also my osteopath. Um, and I was feeling pretty rough. Like we ran a little bit, maybe a kilometer altogether, and then I started walking again. And they were both like a lot higher energy than I was because they weren't exhausted. Um, and I wasn't loving it. And I didn't like that I wasn't loving it, you know? I just felt like a, a grouch, which is understandable if you're that far into a run. We were like a marathon deep. Yeah. 
Or I was, anyway. You wouldn't want to see me at that point. Yeah. <laughs> Trust me. But I take pride in having, like, being strong, you know? Mm. Um, and being perceived that way. And I want to be a leader, and I want to reflect. I just want to lead by example and not show vulnerability, which is a big lesson that I've learned. Because I talk a big game about being okay with being vulnerable. One of the things that I felt that I learned through the whole GBS journey was that I was forced to be vulnerable. Because... I just grew up in a household with the classic, like, if you cry, you're a baby mentality. Um, my dad's dad was a military guy, and my dad was just like, is, he's just stubborn, and he's a tough guy, like an old school guy, so I just, and then I was in the army reserves, which is very much the same, like, you have to be hard, you know, you're a man, etc. But the GBS journey was so difficult that I was forced to kind of hit a rock bottom of sorts, and I felt like I didn't have a choice, I had to be vulnerable. Um, very few people saw it other than my ex. Um, but a lot of conversations since then, I've all, I've always been like, yeah, I'm fine to be vulnerable. That's great. But I learned in this run when it comes down to it, I'm not fine to be seen that way. And that's more work that I have to do because (laughs) that's part of being authentic is Mm -hmm. when you're having a rough time and you let people in on that. Um, being a rock has its place if people really need that, but I totally could have just let loose and cried or... So at like the 45 kilometer mark, I was feeling pretty rough. And I felt myself like almost accessing this deeper, darker part of myself that I feel like I could have really explored and probably even channeled to fuel me to run faster if that was that important. But instead, I didn't want to let loose like that in front of my two friends. So instead, I walked to kind of regroup. Um, I did a 53-kilometer run last year, and it was the same loop 10 times. And the second last loop, I was exhausted. And I'm not going to say I gave up, but I wasn't trying to push a pace. And then when I saw my time, I was just aggravated with myself at how slow it was. So then I kicked it into another notch for the last run. So... The last loop of my 53 kilometer run was way faster than the previous like six but it's because I let myself tap into this almost animalistic angry part of myself I was booking it and breathing like a caveman and people were literally looking over their shoulders because I was passing all these people the last lap and I feel like I could have experienced something similar on this run and a lot more mindfully as well because I've just been practicing mindfulness and meditation more often than not daily for the past year. So this was also the most mindful run I've ever had. I didn't really have my thoughts go haywire for the most part. It was just focusing on my breathing. But when I got to that point where it was just like peering into this different layer of a human that is not easy to access on a regular basis, but humans are trippy creatures. We have layers. Do you think, you'd said that like after the 60K race, you sort of didn't, I'm not sure if I'm putting it properly, but you didn't feel accomplished or you weren't sure how to take it or whatever. Do you think it's because you didn't let yourself kind of dive into that sort of darkness or whatever that you were just talking about? Possibly. That, like I'm not really holding it against myself, but I think that was a missed opportunity to explore something that you don't get a chance to confront on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Um it's hard to explain. And I'm still digesting it a week later. I've thought about it a lot this week, but it's, it's just, it was interesting. Um, Seems like you're using these 
types of things as like a real learning opportunity for yourself you know mm-hmm. uh, which I think is cool because you're a coach and I can tell that you take those kind of things and you try to implement that in the way that you help people mm-hmm. so I feel like maybe there's maybe there's something more down the pipe totally like I have unfinished business with this stuff and unfortunately I have to run 50 miles now like I know that <laughs> and then probably more after that as long as the body holds up and I need to train a lot better for this stuff too just for the sake of not getting hurt because mm-hmm. um, but anyway we rallied my friends were excellent um, but I was just so worried about being perceived as like weak or unhinged or something like that so I had to walk and regroup a lot and then we'd run a bit and then we'd walk a bit and then we'd run a little more and then walk a bit and then run a bunch and there was a point where we were walking down the rail trail and it was beautiful like all the fall leaves it's a nice sight to see right now um so i try to make this zoom meditation session every week which is led by a friend of mine who's become a teacher of mine and she gave us this homework assignment um to sit in front of a tree that has its leaves changing to be reminded that everything's temporary, which is kind of cool. And obviously when you're doing a long run like that, the peaks and valleys are both temporary. Like you have to expect some shit. Yeah. Um, So I was just walking down the rail trail and thinking about that stuff. And a funny thing about um, just like needing to be tough, that's still conditioned into me. I'm trying to undo that stuff, but I found myself thinking about the temporary stuff and part of me is like, that's a crutch of a thought, you know? Like, you don't need to resort to that for energy. Like, just suck it up and, I don't know, just rally. Um, but thinking about that helped. And I was walking and I just closed my eyes and breathed through my nose and brought myself back to the present moment. And then I was kind of back. Like, because I was in a different place when I was crossing paths with that darker part of myself. Um And that darker part of myself, I know, is the accumulation of a lot of the rough shit that I've experienced, you know? I never, like, I should have, in hindsight, talked to a psychologist or something when I was dealing with GBS, but I had no concept of mental health back then. So, uh, things, (laughs) I I have some um, loose ends in my psyche that still need to be kind of explored and tied up to be a completely healthy human. Yeah, and it sounds like even maybe this race maybe not physically what you wanted it sounds like maybe you work through some of those things and use some of those strategies right like when you're talking about doing what you just did with the tree and like coming back and being present like mm-hmm. you know maybe you didn't explore that dark side of you which is something that you seem like you'd like to chase but maybe you were using some of those strategies that you've been working on to like keep yourself present and keep yourself aware and and those things so maybe it's been a and this is just me listening. It's like mm-hmm. maybe just a success in a different way. There was a bunch of successes for sure. Mm-hmm. And in a way I do like to chase that, but it's scary. Like that part of myself, mm-hmm. it feels like unstable mm-hmm. to, to look deeper into that. Um, when you read a lot about meditation, they, they talk about, or maybe I don't know who they are, but certain books that I've read stresses the importance of having a teacher because the more that you dig into your mind, it can get kind of unhinged and scary. And if you don't have a guide, it's sometimes dangerous. Like I think of it as the same thing as somebody who goes to therapy and maybe has a breakthrough, but doesn't completely go down that route and tie it all up and then goes out into the world. It's like, uh, 
an injury. Like somebody can have a cast on an injury and the only way to heal that is to take the cast off. But when the cast off, you're vulnerable. And I think it's the same thing with your mind. Like you can have something that's dormant and you can function fine. But once you open that up, you kind of have to see it through. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's what's cool about your story, you know, is that you're hopefully people can listen to this and relate and can kind of learn from what you're doing in terms of like confronting some of these things, you know, and I think that's what you did that I take away from that. I think a lot of people could take lessons from it. Cool. And it's okay to not have it all figured out. Like you, that's what I've really appreciated so far is just like you're living, you're talking about what you're living and you're living through trying to work it out. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people are doing the same thing, but we try to maybe hide the fact that we're working through things, right? Yeah. And it's okay to be working through things. We're not, no one's perfect, mm-hmm. right? So it's, it's cool to hear you share some of those things. Mm-hmm. With regards to the race, obviously you were raising money for the foundation. Yeah, can I finish the race story? I'm almost yeah, done. Yeah, bro, go ahead. Okay, cool. And then tell me how much money you raised because I want to know because it's, it's been good. It's been really good. Yeah. I want to make sure that people hear about it and I know there's still opportunity to donate. Yeah, and, and I, so, I appreciate you guys yeah. doing this. So like, let's, let's wrap up. Let's hear the... the Cross the finish line. Sure. So finally rebound from the dark patch and feeling guilty about being distant from my friends. And I start feeling goofy again. And they start getting tired, which gives me the purpose of, okay, nice. They need a morale booster right now. <laughs> so we get to the part of the rail trail where we can turn around and come home. And I start feeling just kind of silly and goofy again and more bird noises, naturally. <laughs> um, naturally. Just, it's just funny seeing people's heads turn on the rail trail. Um, and... They were just laughing, and then I started running on all fours, which really helped the energy for all of us. I was exhausted, but I had the energy to just dive into that role for whatever reason. So we we ran a bunch back, and we walked a little bit. My friend had to call her grandma, so we walked while she did that. My other friend ran above or ahead of us to go pee. Um, And then right before we got to the – and we were having, like, nice, good conversation. Like, I was back because before I didn't want to talk. Um – Right before the five kilometer mark, I was like, all right, who's going to freestyle speech? Like, who's going to give us the energy to crush the last 5K? And I didn't give either of them a chance to really pipe up. And I just started committing to just being this goof and giving this, like, ridiculous speech. And then we started running at this really unsustainable pace. Like, my friend looked at her watch and she's like, we can't keep this up. Like, (laughs) we're all exhausted. Um, So we ran and then we walked one more time to regroup for the last, like, 2K. I was like, all right, when we get to that red bush, like we're going to finish really strong because my run friend ended up running 25 kilometers and he was not trained for that. My other friend ran 21 and she was not trained at all for that too. So mad respect for them. Um, so we got close to this red bush and again, lots of people around and I started going (laughs) and then like squealing tires. And then we booked it again and we finished super strong and it was, it was a good moment. And then walked a distance to go see my mom and my other friend who brought cupcakes and Gatorade, which was super nice. Nice. Um, but yeah, I wasn't attached to what had happened really. And was just like in a lot of pain at that point, exhausted and kind of distant. And yeah. So. Understandably. So, but my mom gave me a, a necklace she made that had two birthday candles that said six zero, which was. That's cool. Just, she would do that. Yeah. Um, so that was awesome. Yeah. yeah. 
and then I was done, and then I crushed a bunch of food for the next like forty-eight hours. Oh <laughs> boy, yeah. No of doubt. course, that was, yeah. it was. Had to refuel. Super enjoyable. Yeah, I, yeah. I can't say I've ever done something uh, like that for any other reason. Like you, you have a deeper reason. I do it so that I can eat. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. All the other stuff is a lie. This was just <laughs> this, really you just wanted to binge eat for forty-eight exactly. hours. Exactly. Yeah. Everything else was irrational. Um, yeah. Awesome. So. Talk a little bit about like the money that you raised, or if you don't even want to talk about how much, you can just say where people can go to donate because totally, it's still yeah. active. Like I'd love for people to know about that. Yeah, I should have prepared more because I, off the top of my head, and if if people just look up the GBS CIDP Foundation of Canada walk and roll, they should be able to go on there, and then my little section is called 60k for the cause. I saw it's in your bio on Instagram. It's in my bio on Instagram. Yeah, so yeah. like check that out and then we'll we'll link it in our in our show notes Thank you. and we'll like put it on the Instagram and all that kind of stuff so people know where to go awesome. to find it cuz I was I was looking through it yesterday just briefly and I know you surpassed the goal that you had set out. At least that's what it showed on the on oh, your website. It. Yeah, crushed it, which is which is amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't fundraised since probably elementary school, so I wrote $350 and then People are just super generous, and then I made it five hundred dollars, and then I made it a thousand dollars, and then I made it two thousand dollars. So right now it's at like twenty six hundred dollars raised, yeah, which is way more than I could. Oh, it's it's amazing, and I did very little work. Yeah, I just like made an Instagram post and tried to bring it up in conversation, and the community is just I don't know. I have awesome friends and peers and such. Yeah, and then I think that brings us maybe to the question where we can like wrap this up: is what does like move local mean to you? Move local. Yeah. Can you possibly rephrase that? Yeah, so like our podcast, yeah. Move Local mm-hmm. Podcast, mm-hmm. one of the questions we like to ask all of our guests is like, what does moving local mean to them? And it kind of just allows them to explore it. It doesn't have to be, you know, can pertain to whatever you feel like those words mean to you. Okay. Well, movement in general is just so key for a human. That's what we should be doing. And it's easy for me to go on a tangent about the backwardness of our society and the lack of ergonomics and the sedentary behavior a lot of people are lost right now and I think there needs to be some news report that's stressing people to move more often or something like that um, movement is everything for for a person um, and it makes me just think of I think it would be in people's best interests to have movement as their prescription for a better life exercise sports dance whatever Mm -hmm. you know um and then local (laughs) i don't know yeah um it's like community is important and like we're kind of responsible for setting an example as the people who are the professional movement people um and even if we don't preach the message it's our responsibility to be able to move well and just show show people that it's enjoyable to have that as a privilege i i think i think yeah. during that race you sort of you you lived lived the move what you just described as move local you brought your 100%. community together mm-hmm. um for a really uh spectacular cause um, supporting, you know, the community of um, uh, of people who are, are managing GBS and and or CIDP um, in, in a way that was very active, right, and showing them what 
what they have the potential to do. So I think you sort of lived it this past week. Thank you. I yeah. Hope so. yeah. If there was a story, I, like listening to your story and taking us through it, like if there was a story that represented Move Local, like what we're trying to do with this podcast, it's your whole story and like what you just shared. Like you, 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 you did it all. So it's awesome. It's just, it's cool. Again, like this has been an awesome experience for us just in general to do this podcast. But the more we talk to people, the more we dive into these things, like it just keeps pointing us in the right direction that we're doing the right thing by bringing these conversations up because what you just mm-hmm. talked about is exactly what we're trying to do with this podcast and how people realize so appreciate you coming on appreciate you telling us your story and Thank sharing you. some of those things that i know probably aren't easy aren't easy for you to think about or talk about so appreciate it it's funny i'm just starting to like loosen up you know going back to just anxiety stuff sometimes it takes me a while to kind of let my shoulders sink down again yeah so yeah. hopefully we can do this again Dude, we definitely can do And it. I'm curious genuinely about all your stories as well and feel kind of selfish that I just went on a bunch of tangents. But I know that was partly what this was for. Yeah, so. no one wants to hear about us. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure at this point they have a lot. But. Um, if you want people to follow you, is there anywhere like you would want people to follow your story or check out or anything like that that you'd want to just leave before we wrap up? Sure. You, like, you can follow me on Instagram, but I'm not super active. Um, I may end up starting from scratch with that because with our job, we were encouraged to kind of have a presence in the community and mm-hmm. I just wasn't, I just dropped the ball. And mm-hmm. So Darren at 44 Brooks, which is like a reflection of how not on the ball I am because it was like, oh, I'll make this and then I'll find a name later. Um, my sister, who's like a Knitting celebrity is knit celebrity is knit Brooks, and I was always hoping to have Fit Brooks, but it was taken, and then oh. I figured I'd make a variation, <laughs> and I never did. Um, but yeah, for now, Instagram. I think eventually I'll have a website and stuff as I continue cool. to expand my career. But I'm still in the building phase. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. Well, thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate it. Thank you.